We're continuing with the ecstatic pastimes of Lord Ramachandra, and we're in the Uttarakhanda. For those of you who are following my book, we're on page uh, 536. Jai Sita Ram Laksha. Ram Lakshman Hanuman Kijai. Sumantra then said, My dear Lakshmana, all this was foretold by the great sage Durvasa to your father. Now you should give up your grief, knowing well that whatever takes place is in accordance with the will of the Supreme Lord. Hearing Sumantra's words, Lakshmana felt great relief and expressed his sincere gratitude to the chief minister. Lakshman and Sumantra passed the night on the banks of a river and the next morning resumed their journey. Some disciples of Valmiki happened to see Sita weeping and they ran to their master saying, oh master, come quickly. There is a woman who resembles the goddess of fortune herself sitting alone in the forest crying. By dint of his mystic power, Valmiki could understand everything. He rushed to the place where the bereaved Sita sat. The Rishi humbly approached her and said, O devoted wife of Lord Ram, O daughter of King Janak, by the strength of my austerities, I know all that takes place within the three worlds. Thus, I understand your plight. Please do not be afraid. Near my ashrama, there are ascetic women who will devotedly care for you as if you were their daughter. Please come with me now and consider this to be your new home. Valmiki then took Sita and placed her under the care of the female ascetics. Meanwhile, Lakshman arrived at Ayodhya. Wondering what he would say, he entered the royal palace. Lakshmana saw Ram seated upon the throne, shedding tears and lost in deep contemplation. Seeing his elder brother's pitiful condition, Lakshmana's eyes also filled with tears. Bowing down before Lord Ram, Lakshmana addressed him in a voice laden with great sorrow. My dear brother, in accordance with your order, I abandoned Sita on the banks of the Ganga near the ashrama of the great sage Valmiki. O Rama, there is no use giving way to grief. Indeed, in this world, meeting and separation are concomitant factors. It is inevitable that one's wife, one's son, and one's very life must one day be given up. Therefore, intelligent persons always pass through life's journey with an attitude of detachment. My dear brother, your unlimited prowess controls the three worlds. Why then do you not surpass this despondency? Cast off this weakness. Otherwise, more rumors will, will circulate. What will people think? Ram became pacified by Lakshman's words, and his grief gradually faded. Ram said, My dear Lakshmana, for the last four days I have completely neglected my royal duties. Please summon all the royal ministers, priests, and people in general with whom you do business. The king who does not look daily at the state administration is certainly doomed to suffer in hell. You must know the story of King Nriga. He once gave away millions of cows in charity to a Brahmana, but one of them happened to belong to another Brahmana. 
when they discovered this discrepancy, the Brahmanas cursed the king to become a lizard. It was ordained that King Nriga would be delivered in the distant future when Lord Vishnu would appear as the son of Vasudev in the line of Yadu. Even now, that great king suffers because of the Brahmana's curse. Thus, it can be understood just how much misery can be incurred due to the king's injustice. Therefore, let all people come to me who seek my audience. My dear brother, if you wish, I can entertain you with other interesting histories regarding the lives of great kings. Lakshman replied, my dear Ram, the more I listen to these wonderful stories, the more I'm eager to continue hearing. In response, Ram narrated the history of King Nimi. This 12th son of Ikshraku once asked Vashishta to officiate at his sacrifice. However, because Vashishta was already engaged in performing his sacrifice on behalf of Indra, he requested Maharaj Nimi to wait. But instead of waiting, Maharaj Nimi appointed Gautama as his sacrificial priest. When Vashishta learned of this, he came to the king and cursed him to die. In retaliation, Maharaj Nimi cursed Vashishta to die. And thereafter, they were both forced to relinquish their material bodies. Vashishta then approached Lord Brahma, who advised him to enter the semen about to be discharged by Mitra and Varuna. Vashishta quickly went to the shore of the ocean where Mitra and Varuna were residing. Just at that time, the beautiful Apsara Urvashi came by. Becoming overwhelmed by lust, Varuna pleaded with Urvashi to accept him. But Urvashi replied that Mitra was first to beg union with her. At this, Varuna declared, O oh, beautiful one, if you do not accept my embraces at once, I shall discharge my semen into this celestial pitcher. Being pleased by this statement of ardent love, Urvashi replied, My dear Varuna, although my body belongs to Mitra, my heart belongs to you. Mitra became extremely irritated by Urvashi's words and cursed the Apsara to pass some time on earth. Mitra was first to discharge his semen into the celestial pitcher. As a result, the great sage Augustya arose from the vessel and said, O Mitra, I am your only begotten son. Saying this, Augustia went away. Then after Varuna discharged his semen into the pitcher, it, it mixed with the semen of Mitra. Thus, from the, this mix mixture, Vashishta took birth. Meanwhile, after the death of Maharaj Nimi, the priests continued the sacrifice after pres preserving his body in oil. At the completion of the sacrifice, Brigamuni utilized his mystic powers to invoke the soul of King Nimi. The demigods were very pleased with this act. And when they offered him a benediction, Maharaj Nimi requested, O Celestials, may I always reside in the eyes of all creatures. The demigods gave their consent, saying, O King, you shall visit every eye in the form of air. Because of this, all creatures will be seen to blink periodically. The demigods departed, and thereafter the priests began to churn the body of King Nimi. Thus, Miti was born. Since he was born from a dead body, he was known as Videha, as well as Janak. After narrating the story, Ram hastened to the royal assembly, eager to attend the duties of state, the duties of state administration. There, Ram ordered Lakshmana, go to the palace gate 
and bring me all those who have come with their petitions. Lakshmana soon returned, saying, O Lord, it appears that there is no one in the Koshla kingdom who is in need of anything. Ram, however, insisted, go again and look more carefully. I do not wish to be accused of the slightest neglect, nor do I want the least bit of irreligion to go undetected in my kingdom. Going out again, Lakshmana then noticed a dog sitting near the palace gate, its head bleeding. While staring at Lakshmana, the dog whined more fully. Lakshmana asked, what is wrong? Why have you come here? Please do not fear, for you have for you may tell me any, any, everything. The dog replied, I wish to speak, speak directly to Lord Ram, whose lotus feet award one fearlessness, and who is the shelter of the distressed. Lakshmana then said, if you have something to say, then you are welcome to come speak to the king himself. <clears throat> However, the dog replied, I am a very low-born creature. I am unworthy of entering temples the houses of brahmanas or royal, royal palaces. The king is the embodiment of all religious principles, the representation of all the demigods and the benefactor of all living beings. Without Ram's special permission, I cannot dare come before him. When Lakshmana reported the matter, Ram immediately commanded, whoever it may be, usher him in without delay. The dog then humbly came before Ram and said, O Lord, the king is the representative of the supreme personality of Godhead. Thus, he is the savior of all creatures. While others sleep peacefully, the king remains alert, always working for the welfare of his subjects. However, since everything depends upon him, when the king is negligent, his subjects soon perish. The king is the upholder of religious principles and thus curbs the forces of evil. evil. Those who follow religious principles experience happiness in this life and the next. Thus, the king receives great merit for sustaining dharma. O Ram, you are the model of a religious king. With my head placed at your lotus feet, I seek your mercy. Do not become angry at what I have to say. Ram reassured the dog, saying, Go on, speak without fear. Thus encouraged, the dog continued, a mendicant brahmana named Sarvata Siddha has injured my head, although there was no fault on my part. Immediately, Ram had his men summon Sarvata Siddha. Soon thereafter, when the brahmana came before him, Ram inquired, why did you strike this dog? What was his fault? Anger is a deadly enemy. It is like a sharp sword that slashes away all of one's virtue. Anger nullifies one's long accumulated merit of austerity. <clears throat> Therefore, the wise rid themselves of anger by neglecting it in thought, speech, and actions. O Brahmana, one's true character cannot remain hidden, no matter how hard one tries to conceal it. Misdeeds will always betray those who have not conquered the forces of lust, anger, and greed. The Brahmana replied, I was wandering about begging for alms when I came upon this dog squatting in the middle of the road, blocking my path. I told him, make way. But he got up so slowly that I struck him over the head with my staff. I was famished and my anger was easily aroused. O king, I admit my guilt. You should punish me as you see fit, 
just to save me from falling down into the hellish condition of life. Ram turned to his ministers and inquired, what should the punishment be? Justice must be done, for nothing instills more confidence in people's minds than the administration of fair punishment to wrongdoers. Brigu, Vishishta, Kashyapa, and other knowers of religious principles reply, a Brahmana is never to be punished. This is the unanimous opinion of those conversant with religious principles. Still, O Ram, you are the ultimate judge, for you are the Lord of the entire universe. You are Lord Vishnu himself. Thus, whatever is spoken by you is eternal religion. The dog interrupted, saying, O king, you have asked, what can I do for you? If you truly wish to please me, then kindly appoint this Brahmana to be head of the Kalanjara Monastery. Ram fulfilled the dog's request, and thus the delighted Brahmana, Sarvata Siddha, became honored as a spiritual leader and was placed atop a magnificently decorated elephant. The ministers, however, became greatly upset, protesting, O king, this cannot be considered a punishment. Rather than putting the Brahmana to shame, you have awarded him an exalted position. Ram replied, you do not understand the intricacies of karma, but the dog does. Prompted by Ram, the dog explained, in my last life, I was the head of the Kalanjara Monastery. I duly worshipped the demigods and brahmanas. I performed my sacred duties carefully and properly maintained the servants and maidservants. Still, regardless of so much care, trying to leave nothing undone, I took my next birth as a dog due to some unknown fault. Now just consider this brahmana who cannot even control his anger. He is certainly unfit to be a spiritual leader. For his audacity in accepting such a position, he will now degrade seven generations of his family. How can a man who is unable to control his temper be put in charge of brahmanas, cows, and deity worship? Anyone who steals from the brahmanas, demigods, women, or children is doomed, as is one who takes back a gift that was freely given. Indeed, even the very thought of stealing from the demigods and brahmanas will send a man to the lowest of hells. Saying this, the dog suddenly disappeared while Ram and the others sat with wide open eyes. Although previously born in a very high family, that living being had somehow been forced to accept the body of a dog. After leaving the royal court at Ayodhya, the dog gave up his life by abstaining from food and water with the hope of attaining a better birth. One day, while Ram was seated upon the royal throne, Sumantra informed him that some rishis headed by Chavana had come to see him. The sages were then escorted in, bearing gifts of fruit and water collected from holy places. After worshiping the rishis, Ram inquired as to the purpose of their visit, assuring them that he was prepared to execute their command. Chavana Muni replied, My dear Lord Ram, in the Satya Yuga, there was a most pious daitya named Madhu, the son of Loka. Being very pleased with Madhu, Lord Shiva awarded him an invincible lance. Madhu then requested that all his descendants might also possess this lance, but Rudra explained that this was not possible. However, Lord Shiva at last agreed that the lance should, could be transferred to Madhu's son. 
Thus, at the time of his death, the Daitya handed over the weapon to his son. Lavanasura. O Ram, this offspring of Madhu is now residing at Madhuvan. Because he was very, <clears throat> he has become very formidable, he is greatly oppressing the Rishis. My dear Lord, you have already destroyed Ravana and his followers. We now beg you to please save us from the hands of Lavanasura. Ram replied, My dear Rishis, please give up all anxiety. I shall certainly kill this Rakshasa. Turning to his brothers, Ram inquired, Shall I kill this demon myself, or shall I allot the task to Bharat or Shatrugna? Bharat then expressed his eagerness to slay the demon. However, Shatrugna pleaded, My dear Ram, during your exile, Bharat had to suffer so greatly. Therefore, please grant me permission to destroy Lavanasura. Ram replied, O Shatrugna, let it be so. Indeed, I shall crown you at once as king of Madhuvan. Hearing this, Shatrugna felt most ashamed and protested, O Lord, it is not proper to install a younger brother as king in the presence of his elder brother. However, your words cannot go in vain, and I must carry out your order. I now realize it was wrong to protest Bharat's request. It is unrighteous for a younger brother to oppose his elder brother's wishes. I must have been prompted to do so by my evil stars. Ram was pleased to hear Shatrugna speak this way. He then asked Lakshmana and Parat to arrange for their brother's coronation at once. Thereafter, when Shatrugna was crowned as king of Madhuvan, he shone like the radiant sun. The rishis headed by Chavana were fully assured by this sight. Ram then said, my dear Shatrugna, it was Lavanasura's habit to keep his lance inside his house when he goes out to collect food. It is only when he is challenged to fight that he takes up his invincible weapon. Therefore, you must confront the demon when he is outside. When you do this, block his entrance so he may not go into his house. Take 4,000 horse soldiers, 2,000 chariot warriors, and 1,000 infantry with you. Let merchants also accompany you along with their wares and bring actors and dancers. Likewise, take one million gold coins to pay the soldiers' salaries. Proceed in a way that will disguise your motive, for only by intercepting him unaware and unarmed will you be able to emerge victorious. Shatrugna first dispatched his army, and then one month later he set out. After passing two nights on the way, Shatrugna reached the ashrama of Valmiki during the third day. Shatrugna explained to Valmiki how he had been dispatched on a mission by the order of Lord Ram, and the Rishi extended his hospitality to him. That night, as Shatrugna remained at Valmiki's ashrama, Sita gave birth to twin sons at midnight. Receiving the news from his disciples, Valmiki performed the birth rituals with kushagras to ward off ghosts and rakshasas. Valmiki then directed some elderly people to rub the body of the firstborn child with the ends of kushagras and the younger twin with the lower end of kushagras. Thus, the elder boy became known as kush and the younger boy as lava, lower end. Shatrugna overheard the news and he was very happy to know that twin boys were born to Ram and Sita. 
In the morning, Shatrugna set out, and after journeying for seven days, he arrived at the ashrama of Chavanamuni on the banks of the Jamuna River. That evening, as they were sitting at ease, Shatrugna inquired from Chavanamuni about the prowess of Lavanasura. The Rishi replied, O Prince, there was formerly a very powerful king in the dynasty of Ikshvaku named Mandata. This king was so ambitious that he made preparations for conquering the entire three worlds. As a consequence, even the demigods became afraid. Indra then approached Mandata and suggested, O oh, king, you should first subjugate the entire earth before thinking of conquering heaven. With this, with great surprise, Mandata inquired, O oh, Indra, where is that person on earth who has not come under my subjugation? In reply, the king of heaven named Lavanasura, the son of Madhu, who resided at Madhuvan. In reply, the king of heaven named Lavanasura, the son of Madhu, who resided at Madhuvan. Hearing this, Mandata angrily set out with his army. First, the king sent forth his envoy. But when the envoy arrived at Madhuvan, Lavanasura ate him up. In great rage, King Mandata challenged Lavanasura, who thus came out of his city, wielding his terrible lance. In an instant, that invincible weapon destroyed King Mandata, then returned to the hands of its owner. Thereafter, my dear Shatrugna, you must be sure to challenge this demon when he is away from home searching for food. The next morning, Lavanasura went to the forest to hunt for animals. In his absence, Shatrugna crossed the river Jamuna and then besieged the city of Madhuvan. At noon, when Lavanasura returned home bearing heaps of dead animals, he saw Shatrugna standing at the city gates. Lavanasura simply laughed with derision and said, Oh fool, regardless of your audacity, all your weapons shall be of no avail. Indeed, it is my great fortune that you have arrived at my mealtime. Shatrugna challenged, I am the younger brother of Lord Ram and Bharat, and my name is Shatrugna. I have come here to slay you as a just reward for your wicked deeds. Lavanasura again laughed heartily, saying, Even though Ram killed Ravana, the brother of my aunt, Shurpanaka, I merely excused him out of contempt for I did not consider him worthy of my challenge. A fierce duel ensued between the two warriors. Then Lavanasura suddenly struck Shatrugna over the head with a large tree, causing him to fall unconscious on the ground. Thinking his adversary to be slain, Lavanasura picked up his animal carcasses and entered his city. However, within a moment, Shatrugna came to his senses. Standing up, he fixed a supremely powerful arrow upon his bowstring. Indeed, even the demigods were struck with fear upon seeing the terrible arrow, and they quickly sought the shelter of Lord Rama. The grandsire explained to them, My dear celestials, with this arrow, Lord Vishnu formerly killed Mathu and Kaitaba. Ram was given this arrow to Shat Ram has given this arrow to Shatrugna knowing well that it would be put to use at this time. You should all go witness with your own eyes the death of this great demon. 
Shatrugna then released that wonderful arrow, and after soaring magnificently through the air, it pierced Lavanasura's heart, making him fall to the ground dead. The victorious Shatrugna shone like the sun, and the demigods praised him for his wonderful achievement. Thereafter, Shatrugna settled at Madhuvan, residing there with his army and followers. He built a great city there called Madhupuri, which soon became highly prosperous. It was only after 12 years that Shatrugna at last decided to return to Ayodhya. When Shatrugna came to the ashram of Valmiki, he was very respectfully received by the Rishi and offered ample hospitality. While congratulating Shatrugna for killing the terrible demon, Lavanasura, Valmiki smelled his head repeatedly with great affection. After taking his meal, Shatrugna sat down to listen as Lava and Kusha recited Valmiki's composition of the Ramayan to the accompaniment of music. The poetic expressions were so enrapturing and the descriptions of Lord Ram's transcendental pastime so vivid that tears soon came to Shatrugna's eyes. Even the soldiers became entranced while hearing the story, for they appeared to be reenacted before their eyes in the ashrama of Valmiki. One listener exclaimed, how wonderful this reenactment is. It appears as though we are dreaming. My dear Shatrugna, please ask Valmiki who has composed this wonderful song? Shatrugna replied, My dear soldiers, we should not question the Rishi about this, because many wonderful occurrences take place in this ashrama. We should not be so astonished or express our curiosity unnecessarily. That night, while resting, Shatrugna could think of nothing other than the sweet lyrics describing the pastimes of his worshipable brother, Lord Ram. The next morning, Shatrugna departed and soon arrived at Ayodhya. Upon entering the royal palace, Shatrugna saw Ram like a second Indra, surrounded by his ministers. Bowing before his elder brother, Shatrugna said, My dear Ram, I have carried out your command and killed the wicked Lavanasura. Since that time, I've been residing at Madhupuri. By your mercy, it has become extremely prosperous. My dear brother, I most aggrieved having lived in separation from you for these past 12 years. Therefore, I beg you to give me permission to now reside in Ayodhya without going anywhere else in the future. Ram feelingly embraced Shatrugna and replied, My dear brother, you should not speak like this. A heroic Kshatriya must not express such sorrow or feel any inconvenience while living in a distant kingdom. It is the duty of a king to rule over his subjects according to religious principles. You have to return to Madhupuri. I hope, of course, you may visit Ayodhya from time to time to see me. My dear Shatrugna, you are more dear to me than life itself. Therefore, please stay here for seven days before setting out. With a sorrowful heart, Shatrugna assented. And after spending seven days in Ayodhya, he left for his own kingdom. Once, an elderly Brahmin villager arrived at the gate of Ram's palace, bearing the body of his child. Delirious with grief, the old Brahmana cried out, Oh, my son, my dear child, what terrible crime did I commit in a previous life to deserve the death of my only child? 
He was just a child, not yet 14, and now his mother and I die from grief. I shall die from grief. What wrong did I commit? I have never spoken a lie or injured either man or animal. Never before in the kingdom of Ram has a son died before his parents. Therefore, the death of my son must be due to some fault of Ram himself. It is well known that when the king becomes negligent in performing his duties, that such anomalies occur. O Ram, you must return my innocent son to me, or else my wife and I will give up our lives at your doorstep. In this way, you will become guilty of killing Brahmanas. O king, you claim to be a great ruler in the line of Ikshvaku. How will you be able to go on living happily when the great sins you have perpetrated continue to haunt you? You see, that's what you get when, when you're in a position of a, of a king or any kind of management. You have to be able to absorb such um, claims against you and take responsibility. It's very difficult. Ram hurriedly summoned his advisors, Markandeya, Maudgalya, Kashyapa, Katyaya, Katyayana, Jabali, Gautama, and Narada. After seeing the great rishis and offering them respects, Ram informed them of the elderly Brahmana's accusations. To relieve the king's anxiety, Narada said, O king, I shall disclose to you the reason for this child's death. Then you may act as you see fit. In the Satya Yuga, everyone was spiritually qualified and performing austerity. They achieved liberation from material bondage. In that golden age, wisdom was the rule, and there were no untimely deaths. Then in the beginning of Chitta Yuga, the four social divisions were created. The Kshatriyas were practically as qualified as the Brahmanas, and they were both allowed to perform austerities. In the Dwapara Yuga, irreligiosity will increase, and thus many irregularities will be introduced. As a concession, the Vaishyas will also be allowed to perform austerities, but the Shudras will be strictly forbidden to do so. Thereafter, in the Kali Yuga, even Shudras will be allowed to perform austerities. Indeed, in that degraded age, there will be practically no qualified Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, or Vaishyas. O Ram, it is a serious offense for a Shudra to practice austerity in this Chitta Yuga. It happens, however, that there is, it happens, however, that there is one Shudra in your kingdom executing very severe penances. He is the cause of this child's death. O King, irreligiosity is a state's worst enemy. Therefore, the ruler who fails to punish wrongdoers deserves to suffer in hell. You must find out this culprit at once so that religious principles may be upheld and the Brahmana's son may be restored to life. Pleased by this advice, Ram lorded Lakshmana, go out, go at once to the palace gate and tell the Brahmana to preserve the dead body of his child in a vat of oil after supplying the necessary herbs. Ram then mentally summoned the Pushpaka chariot, leaving Ayodhya in the care of Lakshman and Bharat. He departed to search for the culprit. Ram first flew over the western region, then north to the Himalayas. Finding no sign of irreligion, he next examined the eastern provinces and finally began searching in the south. There, near a great mountain and beside a great lake, 
beside a large lake, Ram sighted an ascetic hanging head downward, engaged in executing severe penances. What great austerity, what fixed determination, Ram declared. Tell me, O oh, oh formidable one, who are you and what is your caste? I am Ram, the son of Dasharath, and you have aroused my curiosity. For what purpose are you undergoing so much trouble? Are you seeking the heavenly planets or have you some other goal? Are you a Brahmana, a heroic Kshatriya, a Vaisha, or a Shudra? Please tell me the truth. From his awkward, awkward position, the ascetic replied, O illustrious king, my name is Shambhuka. I was born the son of a Shudra. Regardless of this handicap, I am performing austerities so that in my next life I can attain the planets of the demigods. Shambhuka had hardly finished speaking when Ram unsheathed his terrible sword and slashed off the Shudra's head. From the sky came shouts of, well done, excellent, as flowers rained down on all sides. Being exceedingly pleased, the demigods appeared before Ram and declared, O oh Lord, you have done us a great favor. By performing this noble act, you have ensured that the Shudra will not attain to heaven in violation of religious principles. With folded hands, Ram replied by requesting the thousand-eyed Indra, O king of heaven, if you are truly pleased with me, then kindly restore the Brahmana's son to life. It was due to my own fault that this boy died. I promised the Brahmana that I would restore his life. O best of the demigods, please allow my words to hold true. Indra happily replied, my dear Lord, certainly the child has already been revived and reunited with his parents. He regained his life as soon as the Shudra's head fell to the ground. Footnote. It is understood that a person is born in a Shudra family due to past sinful activities. He must gradually become free from sinful reactions by faithfully serving the higher caste who are engaged in performing pious activities. To attempt to circumvent the proper expiation of sinful reactions, and to undertake pious activities for which he is not fit, constitutes an aberration of dharma. To punish the shudra and to check others born in shudra families from such presumptuousness, Lord Ram, as the ideal king dedicated to maintain order in society, executed him. However, in the modern age, such rules of dharma do not apply, for even those born in Brahmana families are generally more degraded than shudras. For this fallen age, the recommended, recommended religious activity for all is chanting the names of Krishna and Rama, which frees one from all sinful reactions and awards love of God. Some years later, Ram decided to visit the sage Augustya, who had just completed executing austerities by living within water for 12 years. Accompanied by the demigods on the Pushpaka chariot, he arrived at the Rishi's ashrama. Lord Rama then reverently bowed his head to the Rishi, who in turn received Ram with all due hospital hospitality. Augusta said, my dear Lord, it is my great fortune that you have come here as my respected guest. Please honor me in return by accepting these golden ornaments manufactured long ago by Vishwakarma. Ram replied, my dear Rishi, only Brahmanas are permitted to accept charity, not Kshatriyas. The only gift I may receive from you is your valuable words of instruction. 
Augustus said, my dear Ram, in the Satya Yuga, there were no kings. Thus one day the people went to Lord Brahma and requested him to assign them a ruler. In response, Lord Brahma called for the principal demigods and commanded them to donate various portions of their potencies. Thereafter, Lord Brahma sneezed, and from his nostrils was born a king named Shupa. Lord Brahma endowed Shupa with a portion of Indra's energy so that he could rule over the earth, a portion of Varuna's energy for the maintenance of his body, a portion of Kuvera's energy for possession of wealth, and a portion of Yamaraj's energy for chastising wrongdoers. My dear Lord Ram, in the same spirit, you should take these celestial ornaments from me. Ram replied, my dear Rishi, I accept your words and I will accept the ornaments. Now please describe how you came to possess them. Agastya replied, long ago during the present Treta Yuga, I performed penances in this vast forest. I originally entered the forest out of curiosity. Thus I found a desolate, enchanting ashrama. After passing the night there, however, I found a dead body lying on the ground. To my surprise, I was struck by the beauty of the corpse and stared at it for some time. Suddenly, a celestial chariot descended from the sky. Within it was an effulgent person surrounded by Gandharvas and Apsaras, who were singing and dancing. That splendorous person <clears throat> got down from the chariot and began to feed on the dead body. I was astonished to see this and asked him, Alas, how is it that you can do such an abominable act? <clears throat> the person replied, O Rishi, my name is Shweta. I am the son of the illustrious Sudeva, and my brother is Surata. After the death of my father, the citizens made me their king. Then after ruling for a great while, I considered my duration of life was coming to an end. Thus I retired to the forest after installing my brother Surata on the royal throne. Finally, after executing severe austerities for 3,000 years, I ascended to Brahmaloka. However, I was surprised to find that I was still afflicted by great pangs of hunger and thirst. I thereafter, I therefore inquired, my dear Lord Brahma, the residents of your supreme abode are free from such disturbances. How then am I suffering from hunger and thirst? The grandsire replied, O Shweta, although you performed penances for a long time, you never gave in charity. Thus, for this reason, you now suffer from hunger and thirst even here in Brahmaloka. Now to appease you, I adorn that human flesh shall be your meal. O, o king, you shall suffer the effects of this curse until you meet the great sage Augustia. Augustia then said, My dear Lord Ram, as arranged by destiny, I one day came to meet Shweta. In gratitude for being relieved from his distress, he begged me to accept these ornaments. Ram inquired, My dear Rishi, why is it that this place where Shweta formerly performed austerities is devoid of all beasts and birds? Augusta replied, My dear Ram, in the Satya Yuga, there lived a great king named Manu, who was the founder of the social system consisting of the four occupational duties. Later, Manu's son, Ikshvaku, inherited the kingdom. In his turn, he begot 100 sons. The youngest son of Ikshvaku was very dull and never obeyed his brothers. Thus, he received the name Danda. 
Dunda founded the kingdom that extends between the Vindhya Mountains and the Saivala Mountains. His capital city was named Madhu Mantra, and Shukracharya became his sacrificial priest. One day, after having ruled over the kingdom for a long time, Dunda went to visit the ashrama of Shukra. Upon his arrival, he happened to see the rishi's beautiful daughter, Raja, loitering there alone. The very sight of her caused the king to immediately be overcome by lust. Dunda forcibly embraced Raja and proceeded to gratify himself with her against her will. The king then returned to his capital. Soon thereafter, Shukra was informed by a disciple of what had happened. When he returned to his ashrama, his daughter was there shedding tears. The rishi angrily cursed the king, saying, Let Indra devastate Dunda's entire kingdom by raining down dust for seven days so that everything becomes buried and all creatures die. Shukra then ordered the residents of his ashrama to leave that forest and commanded, commanded Aryaja to continue living there in trance. O Ram, Shukra's curse soon took effect, and from that time onward, this forest is known as Dandakaranya. Lord Ram passed the night at Augustus' ashrama and the next morning departed for Ayodhya. Soon after his return, Lord Ram expressed his desire to perform the Rajasuya Yagya, an elaborate sacrifice that establishes who is the emperor of the world by subduing all the kings therein. Bharata said, my dear elder brother, all the kings of the earth look upon you just like a father. Therefore, you should not do anything that will cause them to suffer. All of these kings are fully obedient to you, and thus you should not threaten them with destruction by performing this sacrifice. Lord Ram Rama gladly accepted Bharat's advice. Lakshmana then proposed that he perform a horse sacrifice instead. Lakshmana cited how Indra formally became freed from all sinful reactions after the slaying of Vritrasura by performing a horse sacrifice. In turn, Rama pointed out how Illa, the son of Kardama, regained his manhood by a similar sacrifice. Lord Ram had Lakshmana call for the great Rishi Rishishta, Vamanadev, Jabali, and Kushaba. After receiving their approval, he sent out invitations to Sugriva, Vibhishana, and all other kings friendly to him. The challenge horse was then released to wander at will. Thereafter, the great sacrifice commenced at Naimasharanya. As kings and princes poured in from all over the world, Bharat and Shatrugna received them with great hospitality. Sugriva and the other monkeys were assigned to look after entertainment, while Bibishana and the other Rakshasas were assigned to attend to the comforts of the Rishis. During the sacrificial performance, charity and food were distributed in profusion. No one could be seen who appeared to be neglected. Indeed, wealth and clothing were heaped as high as hills all around the sacrificial arena. Thus the festivities continued for one full year as the challenge horse roamed the earth under the protection of Lakshmana. Meanwhile, Valmiki called for Lava and Kusha and instructed them, please go out and continue reciting Ramayan throughout the land. 
Go to the homes of brahmanas, the ashrams of rishis, and the palaces of great kings. Chant the Ramayan while wandering through the city streets and countryside. However, please first go to Ayodhya, where Ram is now engaged in performing a great horse sacrifice. If Ram invites you to chant before the assembled brahmanas, please do so. Chant 20 chapters at a time and do not accept any payment in return. Simply say, what good is gold for those who subsist on fruits and roots? If Ram inquires, whose sons are you? Then reply, we are Valmiki's disciples. Chant the verses of Ramayan very sweetly, taking care that nothing displeases the king, for he is considered to be the father of all living entities. Lava and Kusha replied, we shall do as you say. That night they slept peacefully with Valmiki's words firmly fixed in their hearts. Thereafter it came to pass that Lava and Kush began to recite the epic Ramayan in the sacrificial arena at Ayodhya, accompanied by stringed instruments. Indeed, the two brothers had voices that made their recitations appear more melodious than the singing of Gandharvas. The audience was enthralled by their artistry. Likewise, Rama listened intently, filled with great curiosity. Turning to one another, people remarked, except for their matted hair and deerskin dress, these boys exactly resemble Lord Ram himself. After listening to the first 20 chapters, Ram ordered Lakshmana, give these noble-minded boys 20,000 gold coins, costly garments, and whatever else they desire. However, when Lakshmana offered these rewards, Love and Kush refused, saying, what is the use of gold for ascetics who live on fruits and roots? Highly astonished, Ram inquired, how many parts are there in this epic poem and which Rishi composed it? The twins replied, O king, the great sage Valmiki is our spiritual master, and he is the author of this great literature that depicts the entire history of your life. The poem consists of six parts, and a seventh describes your concluding pastimes. If you desire, we shall recite the entire Ramayan during the period of your sacrifice. Thereafter, Ram listened with unbound pleasure as Lava and Kush recited the Ramayan for many days. At last, Ram concluded, these boys must be the twin sons of Sita. There's no doubt about it. Ram's heart melted due to affection for his sons. After considering the matter very deeply, he called for messengers of impeccable etiquette. He ordered them, go at once to the ashram of the great sage Valmiki and speak to him the following words. If Sita is indeed blameless, if her character is faultlessly pure, and let her come here with your sanction so that she can prove her innocence before all the assembled citizens. O oh, messengers, please hurry back with, her rep with their replies. Let Sita come tomorrow at dawn and establish her purity in my presence. When Sita heard Ram's proposal, she could not comply, for she considered such a public trial a great humiliation. Thus, coming to a firm decision in her mind, Sita dressed herself in reddish cloth and started for Ayodhya with Valmiki. A large crowd had assembled from all over the Koshala kingdom, for everyone was very curious to see Sita. Indeed, all the demigods headed by Lord Brahma 
as well as the forest rishis, nagas, siddhas, and other celestial beings came to witness the trial of Sita's purity. Finally, Valmiki arrived, followed by Sita, her head bent low, her hands joined in supplication. Tears filled her large eyes, and Lord Ram was firmly fixed in her heart. As the assembled citizens murmured in anticipation, Valmiki approached Lord Ram and said, O son of Dasharath, here is the impeccably righteous Sita, whom you abandoned out of fear of public scandal. She has come here to prove her purity. Thus she awaits your command. O Ram, I, who have never uttered a lie, make the following declaration. If Sita is tainted by even the slightest guilt, then may the results of my accumulated austerities prove eternally fruitless. Although you loved Sita deeply and were convinced of her innocence, you still discarded her out of fear of public opinion. By dint of my spiritual vision, I can understand Sita's complete purity. Thus I have come to proclaim this truth to you. Ram gazed upon Sita for a moment and announced to the assembly, So be it. I accept all the great Rishi has said. Previously, the demigods also testified as to Sita's purity, and I happily took her back to Ayodhya. However, people began to criticize me, and thus with great reluctance, I sent her away. Now I have decided that if Sita can prove her innocence before this assembly, then I shall again accept her as the wife I dearly love. Everyone fell silent and all eyes became fixed upon Sita, who stood with her gaze lowered and her head bent slightly downward. After a short pause, Sita said to the assembly, O goddess of the earth, please hear my petition. If since the time of my marriage, I ever thought of anyone but Ram, or if I ever loved any man but Ram, then refuse me shelter. However, if I have only dwelt in Ram in thought, word, and action, then please give me a place within you so that I need not experience the shame of facing these slanderous people. When Sita spoke, the earth suddenly opened up, and from the crevice, the goddess Bhumi majestically rose up, seated upon a golden throne borne by divine serpents. The goddess welcomed Sita, took her in her arms, and seated her at her side on the throne. Then, while from the sky and from the earth, the demigods and rishis, kings and common people looked on in astonishment, the celestial throne slowly descended into the bowels of the earth. There was an uproar as all beings uttered exclamations of wonder, praising Sita for this glorious confirmation of her purity. From the heavens, the demigods rained down showers of flowers, and there was singing, dancing, and playing of musical instruments. After Sita disappeared from sight, tears welled up in Ram's eyes, and anger flared within his mind. Ram lowered his head and declared, Earth, I order you to return Sita immediately. Open up and bring her here, so we may again be united. Sita is your daughter, and I am your son-in-law. Give me Sita without delay, or I shall crush your mountains, burn your forest, and smash you into atoms. Lord Brahma then spoke to appease the raving, tortured Ram. Oh Lord, please remember your identity. You are the Supreme Personality of God and Lord Vishnu, and Sita is the goddess of fortune herself. 
Sita has now entered the planet of the Nagas, and very shortly she will be reunited with you in your transcendental abode, Vaikuntha. O Supreme Hero, Lord of the universe and maintainer of all that lives, why must I remind you of your divine position? O Ram, give up your grief and hear from your sons the concluding portion of the great narration that describes your transcendental pastimes. This epic poem composed by Valmiki will spread your glories throughout the three worlds for as long as the universe continues to exist. Saying this, Lord Brahma disappeared. <clears throat> Ram went to Valmiki's ashrama with love and kush. After passing the night grieving over the loss of Sita, Ram summoned all the rishis and requested his sons to recite the Uttarakhanda of the Ramayan. Thereafter, Ram returned to Ayodhya but found life barren without his beloved Sita. Ram continued to rule over the kingdom strictly according to religious principles. Thus, the rains showered forth regularly, crops were abundant, and everywhere were seen signs of prosperity. Then after the passage of many years, Kaushalya passed away, then Sumitra, and then Kaikeyi, so that they will so that they all became reunited with Maharaj Dasarath in the transcendental realm. Sometime thereafter, Yudajit, the king of Kekai, came to see Lord Ram at Ayodhya, requesting him to conquer the Gandharva king who resided north of the river Indus. Ram immediately appointed Bharat's two sons, Taksha and Pushkala, as rulers of the Gandharva kingdom. Bharat then proceeded with a large army and established Taksha and Takshashila and Pushkala and Pushkalavati. Finally, after five years passed, Bharat returned to Ayodhya. Ram then made Lakshmana's two sons, Angada and Chandraketu, the rulers of Karu, Karupat, after bringing that territory under subjugation. Lakshmana had accompanied his two sons and returned to Ayodhya after an absence of one year. Since the closing of Lord Ram's earthly pastimes was close at hand, time personified came to Ayodhya one day in the guise of a wandering ascetic. After arriving at the palace gate, time announced to Lakshmana, I am a messenger from Lord Brahma. Since I have come on a very important mission, I desire to see Ram at once. When time, in the form of a dazzling effulgent rishi, entered the palace, <clears throat> Ram respectfully seated him upon a golden throne and inquired, O Holy One, what is the nature <clears throat> of your visit? Is, them, is there some message you have come to deliver? The messenger replied, O King, if you honor the wishes of Lord Brahma, then our meeting must be held in private. For his words, are not meant for others. Indeed, let it be known for certain that anyone who overhears our conversation will soon meet with death. <clears throat> o Ram, you must promise that anyone, if anyone comes and interprets our meeting, interrupts our meeting, then you will unhesitatingly give up all connections with him. Ram replied, let it be so, to Lakshmana. He ordered, dismiss the doorman, I want you to personally guard the entrance, for this meeting must be strictly private. Thereafter, when the two were alone, 
death in the form of a messenger said, in a previous birth, I was a son of Lord Brahma. Now I'm appearing as all devouring eternal time, Kala. O King, the universal grandsire speaks unto you the following words. O Lord Ram, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, I offer my obeisance unto you. After the dissolution of the universe, you sleep in the waters of devastation in the form of Garbhadakshayi Vishnu. Then, when there is need of recreating the universe as it was before, I, Lord Brahma, take birth from the effulgent lotus that grows from your navel. After my birth, I was entrusted with the creation of the three worlds. In turn, I requested you to assume the form of Shirdakshai Vishnu to become maintainer of the entire of the universe. Ever since that time, you have appeared in many transcendental forms whenever there is a need to relieve, relieve the burden of the world. Now you have appeared to kill Ravana and rule the earth for 11,000 years. O Lord, since this allotted time is now concluded, you need no longer remain within this material world. If you so desire, you may at once ascend to heaven to resume your rule over the demigods. O all-pervading Supreme Personality of Godhead, you are the source of my strength and my very existence. Let me therefore offer my respectful obeisances unto you. After listening to Kala, Rama smiled and replied, You have spoken truthfully. May there be all good fortune for you. You may now go and tell Lord Rama that because I have fulfilled the purpose of the demigods, I will very soon return to my transcendental abode. As Ram and the messenger were conversing, it happened that Durvasamuni arrived at the royal palace. When Lakshmana went to receive him, the Rishi insisted, I am here on most urgent business and must see Lord Ram at once. <clears throat> Lakshmana replied, Ram has given me strict orders that he cannot be interrupted under any circumstances. Oh, foremost of rishis, please be patient and wait for a short while. At this, Durvasa lost his temper. With fiery eyes, he screamed, Go and announce my presence at once. If you are so foolish to disobey me, then I shall curse Ram, Bharat, yourself, the entire Ikshvaku dynasty, and the entire Koshala kingdom. Hurry, for my patience wears thin. Lakshmana knew that to interrupt Ram's conversation with Kala would soon bring about his own death. Ra Lakshmana knew that to interrupt Ram's conversation with Kala would soon bring about his own death. However, thinking of Durvasa's curse, he concluded, it is better if I suffer alone rather than cause everyone's ruination. Lakshmana then entered the room, being informed of Durvasa's uh, arrival, Ram took leave of Kala and hurriedly went out to meet the Rishi. As he stood before Durvasamuni with folded hands, Rama inquired, O foremost of ascetic Brahmanas, what can I do to please you? Durvasa replied, O righteous king, I have just now completed a 1,000-year fast. What can you give me to eat? Thereafter, Ram provided Durvasa with a sumptuous feast and the Rishi was highly gratified. After Durvasa's departure, however, Ram remembered the promise he had made to Kala. Thus a horrible grief overtook him. Fearing the loss of his most intimate associate, Ram stood as though deprived of reason, his head bowed in dejection. 
Lakshmana then reproached his aggrieved brother and cheerfully said, O Ram, do not lament for that which is inevitable under the control of supreme destiny. Duty must be carried out without attachment or aversion. Therefore, keep your promise and banish me without hesitation. Ram summoned his ministers, and after describing all that had happened, he asked for their advice. Finally, after a long silence, Vashishta said, My dear Ram, by dint of my ascetic prowess, I could foresee all this happening to you. Now you must keep your promise. Otherwise, your life, your lifelong adherence to righteousness will be blighted. With the decay of religious principles, the world gradually comes to perish. Therefore, adhere to truthfulness and banish Lakshmana. Ram appeared to think deeply over the matter. Then he announced to the assembly, to the assembly Adhering to righteousness, I hereby order the banishment of Lakshmana from Ayodhya. The ministers all applauded Ram's decision, and thereafter Lakshmana went to the banks of the river Sarayu and absorbed his mind in the practice of mystic yoga. Then, when the time became ripe, King Indra suddenly appeared there, riding a celestial chariot. Thus, in his self-same transcendental body, Lakshmana ascended to heaven amidst the singing of Gandharvas, the dancing of Apsaras, and showers of fragrant flowers. After Lakshmana's disappearance, Ram decided to install Bharat upon the royal throne so that he could be free to follow in Lakshman's, so he could be free to follow the Lakshmana's path. However, Bharat refused to occupy the throne, for he preferred to accompany Ram to the forest rather, enjoy, rather than enjoy the kingdom without him. Ram then divided the kingdom between his sons, giving Kush the northern part of Koshala and Lava the southern part. After the coronation, Ram embraced his twin sons and then presented them vast amounts of gold, jewels, thousands of chariots, and countless horses and elephants. <clears throat> when the citizens heard of Ram's intention to retire to the forest, they became determined to follow him. Their grief due to the impending separation was unbear unbearable. Shatrugna was also intent upon following Ram, and thus when the Lord finally came out of the city, there was a great procession following him. Indeed, because of their love and devotion, every living entity followed Ram to the forest, so that not even an animal could be seen in Ayodhya. While Ram silently walked along, everyone could see that he was exhibiting a mood of complete detachment and indifference, as if preparing to give up the world. All of Ram's potencies appeared in personified form to accompany him. Shri walked on Ram's right side and Pumi on his left. Shakti walked in front and innumerable other energies followed Ram, including Omkar, Gayatri, and the Vedas. Next, Shatrugna and his family followed Bharat. Then came the Brahmanas who tended the sacrificial fire. Behind the Brahmanas walked all the citizens according to their positions. Following them came all the animals. When he arrived at the banks of the river Sarayu, Rama paused. At that time, Lord Rama and the demigods appeared overhead in their celestial chariots. The sky was thus lit up with a transcendental radiance, and gentle, sweet-smelling breezes began to blow. The Gandharvas and Apsaras sang and danced. 
the demigods showered the most fragrant celestial flowers. As Lord Ram entered the water, Lord Brahma offered his prayers as follows. O Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, you are now concluding your earthly pastimes and are preparing to return to your transcendental abode beyond this material world. You are the eternal Lord Vishnu, and although you appear in various incarnations, your body is unchanging and original. It is you alone who are the cause of all causes and the support of all existence. Everything is thus part and parcel of you, <clears throat> for you are the supreme absolute truth, the source of all emanation. O Lord, you have so kindly appeared to remove the burden of the earth. Thus, let us offer our respectful obeisances unto you again and again. Followed by Bharat and Shatrugna, Lord Ram thus returned to his eternal abode in the spiritual sky. Indeed, not only the sons of Dasharath, but all their followers attain the Vaikuntha planet where Lord Rama eternally resides. This concludes the transcendental narration of the pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Ramachandra, known as Ramayan, composed by the great Rishi and devotee Valmiki. This epic should only be recited by those who have implicit faith in the Supreme Lord, for it is non-different from Lord Vishnu himself. Hearing even a single verse has the potency to eradicate all sins committed by a person that day. Therefore, those who seek liberation from the cycle of repeated birth and death always relish this great transcendental literature. The recitation of the Ramayana grants one all the fruits of dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. Beyond that, it helps one to advance towards life's ultimate goal, the development of love of Godhead. May the readers of this book thus become blessed and inspired in Krishna consciousness. May the transcendental forms of Lord Ramachandra and Sita forever remain situated in their hearts. Om Tat Sat. Shri Ramayan Ki Jai, Sita Ram Lakshman Hanuman Ki Jai. To the listeners of the Ramayan Kijai, the appearance day of Lord Ramachandra Kijai, Gaur Premanande Haribo. And here's an appendix, Srila Prabhupada on the position of Lord Ramachandra and purposes. <coughs> Am I correct that we're going to 8.30? Yes, Maharaj. Yes, Maharaj. Thank you. This is compiled from Srila Prabhupada's translation and Bhagavatam ninth canto. <clears throat> the personality of guided Sri Ram assumed the form of a human being and appeared on the earth for the purpose of doing some pleasing work for the demigods or the administrative personalities to maintain the order of the universe. <clears throat> Sometimes great demons and atheists like Ravana and Hiranyakashipu and many others become very famous due to advancing material civilization by the help of material science and other activities with a spirit of challenging the established order of the Lord. For example, the attempt to fly to other planets by material means is a challenge to the established order. The conditions of each and every planet are different, and different classes of human beings are accom accommodated there for particular purposes mentioned in the codes of the Lord. But, puffed up by tiny success and material advancement, 
Sometimes the godless materialists challenged the existence of God. Ravana was one of them, and he wanted to deport ordinary men to the planet of Indra. By material means, without consideration of the necessary qualifications. He wanted a staircase to be built up directly, reaching the heavenly planet so that people might not be required to undergo the routine of pious work necessary to enter that planet. He also wanted to perform other acts against the established rule of the Lord. He even challenged the authority of Sri Ram, the personality of Godhead, and kidnapped his wife, Sita. Of course, Lord Ram came to chastise this atheist, answering the prayer and desire of the demigods. He therefore took up the challenge of Ravana, and the complete activity is the subject matter of the Ramayan. Because Lord Ramachandra was the personality of Godhead, he exhibited superhuman activities which no human being, including the materially advanced Ravana, could perform. Lord Ramachandra prepared a royal road on the Indian Ocean with stones that floated on the water. The modern scientists have done research in the area of weightlessness, but it is not possible to bring in weightlessness anywhere and everywhere. But because weightlessness is the creation of the Lord by which he can make gigantic planets fly and float in the air, he made the stones even within this earth to be weightless and prepared a stone bridge on the sea without any supporting pillar. This is the display of the power of God. <clears throat> Due to his causeless mercy upon all living entities, the Supreme Personality of God, along with his plenary extensions, appeared in the family of Maharaj Ikshvaku as the Lord of Sita, his internal potency. Under the order of his father, Maharaj Dasharath, he entered the forest and lived there for considerable years with his wife and younger brother. The powerful Rakshasa Ravana committed a great offense against him and was thus ultimately vanquished. Lord Rama is the supreme personality of God and his brothers, namely Bharat, Lakshman, and Shatrugna, are his plenary expansions. All four brothers are Vishnu Tattva. They were never ordinary human beings. There are many unscrupulous and ignorant commentators on Ramayan who present the younger brothers of Lord Ramachandra as ordinary living entities. But Srimad Bhagavatam, the most authentic scripture on the science of Godhead, clearly states that his brothers were his plenary expansions. Lord Ramachandra is the incarnation of Vasudeva. Lakshmana is the incarnation of Shankarshana. Bharata is the incarnation of Pradyumna and Shatrugna is the incarnation of Aniruddha. All expansions of the personality of Godhead. Lakshman, Laksh, Lakshmiji, Sita, is the internal potency of the Lord. She is neither an ordinary woman nor an incarnation of Durga. Durga is the external potency of the Lord, and she is associated with Lord Shiva. The question may be asked, why the Lord, who is omnipotent, comes here to diminish the burden created upon the world by the unscrupulous kingly order. Certainly the Lord does not need to come here personally for such purposes, but he actually descends to exhibit his transcendental activities in order to encourage his pure devotees who want to enjoy life by chanting the glories of the Lord. In the Bhagavad Gita 9.13-14, it is stated that the Mahatmas, great devotees of the Lord, take pleasure in chanting 
the activities of the Lord. All Vedic literatures are meant for turning one's attention towards the Lord and his transcendental activities. Thus, the activities of the Lord in his dealings with worldly people create a subject matter for discussion by his pure devotees. When the Lord appears in this universe in the form of a human being, he has two purposes. As stated in Bhagavad Gita, Paritranaya Sadhunam Dushkritam, to destroy the demons and protect the devotees. To protect the devotees, the Lord not only satisfies them by his personal presence, but also teaches them that they will not fall down from devotional service. Teaches them so that they will not fall down from devotional service. By his personal example, Lord Ramachandra taught the devotees that it is better not to enter married life, which is certainly followed by many tribulations, as confirmed in Srimad Bhagavatam 7.9.45. Kripanas, those who are not advanced in spiritual knowledge and who are therefore just the opposite of brahmanas, generally take to family life, which is a concession for sex. Thus they enjoy sex again and again, although that sex is followed by many tribulations. This is a warning to devotees. To teach this lesson to devotees and to human society in general, Lord Sri Ramachandra, although the Supreme Personality of God in himself, underwent a series of tribulations because he accepted a wife, Mother Sita. Lord Ramachandra underwent these austerities, of course, only to instruct us. Actually, he never has any reason to lament for anything. Another aspect of the Lord's instructions is that one who accepts a wife must be faith, a faithful husband and give her full protection. Human society is divided into two classes of men, those who strictly follow the religious principles and those who are devotees. <clears throat> By his personal example, Lord Ramachandra wanted to instruct both of them how to fully adopt the, the discipline of the religious system and how to be a beloved and dutiful husband. Otherwise, he had no reason to undergo apparent tribulations. One who strictly follows religious principles must not neglect to provide all facilities for the complete protection of his wife. There may be some suffering because of this, but one must nevertheless endure it. That is the duty of a faithful husband. By his personal example, Lord Ramachandra demonstrated this duty. Lord Ramachandra could have produced hundreds and thousands of sitas from his pleasure energy, but just to show the duty of a faithful husband, he not only rescued Sita from the hands of Ravana, but also killed Ravana and all the members of his family. Another aspect of the teachings of Lord Ramachandra is that although Lord Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and his devotees may apparently suffer from material tribulations, they have nothing to do with such tribulations. They are mukta purushas, liberated persons, under all circumstances. A Vaishnava is always firmly situated in transcendental bliss because of engagement in devotional service. Although he may appear to suffer material pains, his position is called transcendental bliss in separation. The emotions a lover and beloved feel when separated from one another are actually very blissful, although apparently painful. Therefore, the separation of Lord Ramachandra from Sita Devi, as well as the consequent tribulation they suffered, is but another display 
of transcendental bliss. Gaur Premanande Haribo, congratulations all the devotees who um, worked together to read the entire Ramayan. Thank you to His Holiness Bhaktivikash Swami for rendering such a beautiful version of this book for us to uh, read and relish every single year. And obviously those who have read, listened uh, to any part of this, or to speak of the whole thing, will be eternally blessed by hearing the pastimes of the Lord, which are non-different from Lord Ramachandra himself. Hare Krishna. How was it? for all of you hearing the, the Ramayana. What was your experience? Dear devotees, you can unmute yourself and share your reflections. Um, I'll look at uh, Facebook comments. What was it like reading the entire Ramayana? How did you feel? It's full. <laughs> what did you hear? How was your life changed? What details? Don't cheat us now. Come on. <laughs> okay, everyone's still muted. Yeah, you can you can unmute yourself. Yeah. Hare Krishna. This is Anirudh Dechatas. Hare Krishna. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't like uh, attend all of the readings, but I tried to attend as much as I can. So I always had a desire to like hear the, the kind of, uh, but for some reason I couldn't read it or uh, you know, hear it in details, but today I got the opportunity to hear it from you. And that's really amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, See, that's a very good desire to have. Those who develop spiritually have one burning desire, and that is to hear more and more about the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is the barometer of one's advancement in devotional service. Bhagavatam, Shushu Shro Shradhana Sya Vasudeva Kataruchi, Syad Mahatsevya Vipra Punya Tirtanashevana. If one serves pure devotees, then the, the result, the auspicious result, is that one develops a desire to hear more and more about the Supreme Personality of God. So thank you for sharing. What other um, realizations do, have you all had from hearing the Ramayan? Sharing means caring. Don't be afraid to reveal yourself here. Uh, Hare Krishna Prabhuji, Tulsilata Devdasi here. Hare Krishna. So, Prabhuji, what uh, reading Ramayana is like uh, wholesome entertainment <laughs> and useful for. Realizations have you all? <clears throat> so, some part of Ramayana is very entertaining, like, uh, you know, uh, dialogue between uh, Lakusha and uh, Lakshmana, Shatrutha. Drama. So that is part of entertainment, and uh, some is like uh, adventurous, some is like so the whole soul, uh, whole soul entertainment for everywhere. Uh, I mean, uh, it's what you say, 
we go to movies and everything, but this Ramayana has uh, taken away all the tendencies to go to materialistic movies or films. Did you like the war scenes? Did you like yes, the battle yes. scenes? Yes, yes. I really like war scenes. How was your uh, hair standing Rama, on end? Yeah, how Ra, uh, Rama was uh, like Ravana was uh, uh, sending a what do you say the snake snake arrows and uh, Rama was taking away with uh, this uh, Garuda. So all such things very picture, uh, graphically the war and everything was so entertaining. But in the end, when uh, Sita, Sita Devi goes away in the uh, earth and uh, Rama goes back to God. It feels like a lot of separation, lot of, I feel like my tears are flowing. I feel so sad, so separated. That's a good sign. So I, I really miss like, you know, now Raman is ending, Raman is ending. I feel so separated. Okay, it had, it had the desired results. You've been, you've been touched by the Raman. Very good, thank you. Who else? More realizations? Maharaj. Reflections? Yes. Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Maharaj. Go right ahead. Um, the realization um, after hearing after hearing Raman is um, especially the family life is uh, full of difficulties. <laughs> the tendency in Kali Yuga is when they face difficulties the materialistic people want to run away from uh, family life. But Ramayana is instructing us, do not run away from this, you know, marriage, married life. Rather stay and, you know, try to be faithful to your family. And at least in that, you know, it's like a kind of a theory, it's like a kind of a medicine. And then, you know, if we can do devotional service, that is really good, you know, we can mitigate that suffering. But there is no need for one to give away the family life or to run away from their responsibilities. You know, sometimes people take different things, you know, when they can't bear that suffering. And Bhagavad and, and Raman clearly says that as soon as you accept married life, there are tribulations. Yeah, well, the worst of the tribulations is if you end up marrying somebody who's not interested in Christian consciousness and becomes a bad actor and tries to stop your practice of devotional service. In which case, Bhagavatam seventh canto gives some concession. So um, your points are very, very well taken and very important. Thank you very much. Please give more reflections. Um, Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj, this is Janki, Bhaktin Janki. Um, I specifically enjoyed the characters and the fact that everybody, uh, you know, came from a heavenly planet, but everybody kind of played their part. Um, although they had free will and they had suffering, they still kind of played the part of the of their character. Um, I found that to be very interesting, um, and um, and the fact that you know uh, there's evidence, scientific evidence about those floating um, stones. I thought that was really interesting to see that. Uh, you know, that, that science is kind of catching up with proving the reality of these things. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This is something that uh, Queen Kunti says to Lord Krishna is, you're like an actor on a stage. You're right. performing a part. So he comes and there's a big drama everywhere and 
really is to, to attract our attention back to his Leela. So by that Leela, one's mind and heart becomes captured. What nice reflections you had. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, Guru Maharaj. We'll take uh, one more. There's one from Facebook. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, thank you. This is Nanwari Dasi. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. So um, I really like the, so many points, but the two points I want to share. Uh, one is uh, Hanumanji's, uh, how he is a good sevak, how he's a good servant, and he's always remained a Dasanudas, like very humble and even though he had so much power and he could do so many things but he was uh, saying I'm not allowed until Ram Ram's order so he, he didn't do so many things and um, yeah that's that's all I remember right now <laughs> thank you yes one of the most important figures in the whole Ramayan yes Hanuman and his mood of service thank you very much thank we have you. time for one more someone else was trying to get in Maharaj, i was saying that there is there were, you know there's a reflection on facebook from Preeti. oh well let's hear what the reflection is yeah she was talking about when answering your question about what the whole reading experience was and she says that the reading transported us to our transcendental pastimes of lord and we forgot the daily tribulations of the current times that's right. I mean, actually, in, in ordinary poetry, there's a poem called There's No Frigate Like a, a Book. Frigate means a, a boat that takes one away. And um, then, of course, when you're reading a transcendental book and you're, you're actually getting eternal spiritual benefit and you're transferred to the, to the spiritual world and you're infused with knowledge simultaneously, it's the best best of all worlds. So uh, Lav and Kush went everywhere singing the Ramayan. And uh, now we can go everywhere and distribute transcendental literature. It's the most needed item in the whole world nowadays. People think they, they're lacking toilet paper, but actually what they're lacking is Krishna Kata. It would be nice if they're fighting over books like that. So uh, congratulations to everybody for, for participating uh, this, um, in this little short lifetime we have as human beings. is is very quick. Uh, goes by in a, the, the blink of an eye. Those who uh, invest in, the, in hearing about the Lord and speaking about him to others, uh, leave this temporary world with the greatest of eternal assets. And that is a love for, for God within the heart. And whoever, oh, there's an echo here. How interesting. So thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow morning. What time is the first program tomorrow? Six o'clock? Six o'clock with the Make Japa Great again. Yeah, Make Japa Great again. We'll see you all then at six o'clock Pacific Standard Time for chanting the Lord's holy names. Vanchakalpadrusha Kripasanabe Vichapitanam Pavani Vyavaishnabyo Namo Namaha. Everyone please unmute and say Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Well, that's not everybody.
Say it again. Everybody unmute and say Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. A little louder though. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hey, Marman. 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 Marman.